Two weeks in a row. Please say standing. I, I'm sorry, I thought there was another verse. Please say standing for the reading of God's word. Be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, starting at verse 13 through to verse 20. Hear now the words of the one, the true, the only living God. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You're you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Here ends the reading of God's all-sufficient word. You can be seated. We've got to get that down, I guess. We've got some work. Um, I guess that's not the, the most important thing. But <clears throat> Well, good morning, Grace Hill Church. It is good to be together. More than 180 years ago. Now, I think we sometimes... That's just a number. We don't really think about that too much. I've, I've been reading a book this week, and it said that the, the average lifespan of a church is around 90 years in the United States. So we're double that. Um, and, and 100 years ago, what, or 180 years ago, was actually before Wisconsin was even a state. Nine individuals planted a local church right here in the village of Merton. Though this church has encountered many changes over the years, there has remained one consistent theme throughout her long history, and that is the commitment to preserve and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Grace Hill Church prepares to move forward into a new season, we want to pause and reflect on our past, not only as this local church, which for 180 years has been an example of God's faithfulness to generations of Christians living here in Merton, We want to look beyond Merton and reflect on God's great kindness to preserve his universal church for over 2,000 years. So for the first three months of the year, we will be slowly working through separate statements from the Apostles' Creed, looking to the scriptures to learn how these beliefs took shape and to this day continues to inform how men and women should worship as Christ's church throughout the world. For those of you who are unfamiliar, the word creed simply comes from the Latin word credo, meaning I believe. Any church that gathers and worships has a belief. It is not a matter of whether a church has a creed or confession. The question is, are they the right beliefs, the right creed, the right confession of faith? One author said that while all Christians believe more than is contained in the Apostles' Creed, none can believe less. Christianity is not a belief in belief. 
is a belief in a propositional truth, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and Savior of sinners. We do not believe in a Christ of our imaginations, but in the Christ of Scripture, the Christ believed by every generation of true Christians. Confessing the creed together is also very countercultural. We, we, we seem to like to be individuals, right? But when we express, when we recite the creed, we are not just expressing our own views, our own priorities. We are confessing the faith of the church. We allow our individual I to become part of the unified, singular I of the body of Christ. We are joining our voices to a beautiful communal voice that calls across the centuries from every tribe and tongue. We locate ourselves as part of that community that transcends time and space. The truest and most important things we can ever say are not individual words, but are corporate words. So as we recap our first two weeks in this series, here are some of the propositions that we've talked about and then the points that have been made over those first two weeks. The first week we talked about that I believe in God the Father Almighty. So what, 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 what quickly comes to, to, uh, to mind is that we need something real, something personal, and something magnificent to believe. And we learn that God is real, God is personal, and he is magnificent. Then last week, uh, Lucas talked about that um, there is only the uncreated creator who can create, recreate you. Let me say that again. There is only the uncreated creator can recreate you. So therefore, we learn that God is the uncreated creator, he is the unique creator, and he is the recreator. Now, let us proceed into uh, our third statement, which is, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Now, there are many, many important questions that we may ask or seek to answer as we walk through life. Some of those could be, what do I want to do when I grow up? Who will I marry? How much money do I need to retire? Or when I asked my kids about this, the first question they came up with was, where's the bathroom? While these questions all point to some important and some not important aspects of a person's life, there is one question every person must reckon with, and the answer to that question affects life in the here and now and in eternity to come. That question is, who is Jesus? So as we move into the next section of the Apostles' Creed, we will start by seeking to answer that most important question. Who is Jesus? If you haven't already, you will notice quickly that these next couple of paragraphs in the Creed that cover Jesus are the bulk of the Creed. The Apostles' Creed is Christ-centric, as we should be and this church should be. Everything that we do must revolve around the person and work of Jesus. Uh, J.I. Packer makes this point better than I, so let me quote him. He says, the, the claim that Jesus Christ is God's only Son and our Lord is central to the layout of, layout of the creed. For the long section on Jesus Christ between the two shorter sections on the Father and the Spirit. And it is central to the faith of the creed. For we could not know about the Trinity or salvation or resurrection and life everlasting apart from Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ in his redemption of all God's people who was the revealer of all of these truths. 
In the high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus says in verses 25 and 26, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So because of Christ, we know about the Father. Also, this claim that Jesus Christ is God's only Son and our Lord is what makes Christianity distinct. It separates Christianity from Judaism, Islam, cults that attack the deity of Jesus like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Unitarians. The belief that Jesus is God is the central doctrine of the Orthodox Christian faith. But beyond the the realm of opposing faiths and cults, a 2015 survey conducted by the Barna Group delved into the belief in, in that Jesus is God among, among adults living in the United States. The findings revealed that 56% of adults held the conviction that Jesus is God. However, a closer look at the demographic breakdown exposed a concerning trend. While more than half of the overall population embraced the idea, only 48% of millennials share the same belief. And considering the likelihood that this trend may have worsened among today's younger adults, it highlights the importance of clarifying why we believe what we believe. Also, this lack of belief in Jesus, as revealed in Scripture, has worked its way into many churches. As Albert Moeller writes, he says, a superficial, Christia- a superficial Christology sometimes permeates the church, its worship and its witness. Some of this spirituality has devolved into unabashedly false doctrine. Some want a Jesus who is a great teacher, but not the Son of the Father. Some want a Jesus as Savior, but not Lord. And this is not a new phenomenon. The confusion of who Jesus is existed even while Jesus was still here on earth. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 16 and reread what... what, uh, Tim read just a few minutes ago. Matthew 16. Starting in verse 13. And when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. The crowds believed that Jesus was obviously a special man, but they were wrong in their assessment. They believed that he was a great prophet who spoke for God, but he was not God himself. They also believed that maybe Jesus was a great prophet who was leading the way to the Messiah, but he could not be the Messiah. The Messiah that they were looking for would be a great political and military leader who would save them from all of their oppressors. Then Jesus asked his disciples in verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say I am? There once again is that most important question asked by Jesus himself to his disciples. Now Peter, a man who so often spoke and acted before thinking, in this case did not stick his foot in his mouth with his answer. He replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And then in verse 17, and Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter and the disciples confessed what we must confess, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and our Lord. Or as the creed states, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Now what I'd like to do with our remaining time is to talk about those three aspects. Jesus is Christ, God's Son, and Lord. So, when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, what exactly are we saying? Well, first, we know that Christ is not Jesus' last name. We, we know that, correct? I just want to put that out there. He's not the, the son of Joseph Christ and Mary Christ, so therefore he's known as Jesus Christ. Uh, now, while we know that it's not his last name, there is much significance in his name. When the angel of the Lord came to Joseph in a dream to tell him that the baby conceived in Mary was from the Holy Spirit, in Matthew one twenty one, the angel said, She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then also in Acts 4.12, it says, There is salvation in no one else, for in no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then in Luke 2, verses 10 and 11, the angels announce gloriously to the shepherds. Uh, it says, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto, you this, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So Jesus' name is not by accident. But then what do we mean by Christ? Well, we get that clue right there at the end of that verse. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ literally means the Anointed One or the Messiah. The one who was promised to Israel and the one who fulfills all these promises and much more. When we call him Jesus Christ, we are identifying him as our Savior. When we exalt him as our Savior, then by necessity, we also must be honest about our condition. We are sinners who are weak and needy, who desperately need a Savior. Once again, quoting J.I. Packer, he says, The title Christ expresses the claim that Jesus fulfilled all three ministries for which men were anointed in the Old Testament times, being a prophet, who is a messenger from God, and priest, who mediates with God for us by sacrifice, as well as being king. So prophet, priest, and king. The glory of this conjunction of roles is only seen when we relate it to our actual needs. What do sinners need for a right and good relationship with God? First, we are ignorant of him and need instruction. For, not satis for no satisfying relationship is possible with a person about whom we know little or nothing. Second, we are estranged from him and need reconciliation. Otherwise, we will end up unaccepted, unforgiven, and unblessed, strangers to this fatherly love and exiles from the inheritance that is in store for those who are his children. Third, we are weak, blind, and foolish when it comes to the business of living for God. And we need someone to guide, protect, and strengthen us, which is how the regal role was understood in Old Testament Israel. Now in the person and ministry of the one man, Jesus Christ, this threefold need is completely and perfectly met. 
So can we with confidence say that I believe in Jesus Christ? That wasn't very confident. Yes, yes, we can, we should. Um, as a side note, unfortunately there are many times when we hear individuals in our world say Jesus Christ, but they are not magnifying Jesus our Savior, but instead taking his name in vain. I've not tried this, but I, I want to lay out a challenge here. The next time you hear someone say that, maybe just say, maybe tell the person about the meaning behind the word that they're choosing to use. Tell them of the, the deep theological richness of proclaiming Christ, uh, Jesus as the anointed Messiah. Tell them that he is your savior because you are weak and a needy, needy sinner. Now, chances are it might not go well. But in that case, you can just add, well, you're the one that brought it up. Um, let me know how that goes if, if you do attempt to um, use that as an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus Christ. Um, once again, it may or may not go well. As we come to the second aspect, can we with confidence also say that Jesus Christ is God's only son? As mentioned earlier, about 50% of our population would say that he is God's only son, that he is divine, that he is God. But do you believe that? The people in Jesus' day struggled to believe. Instead, they believed he was a great prophet and a great teacher who was probably a precursor to the Messiah, but he was not God. He was not Messiah. Now, the belief that Jesus was just a great man who taught many great moral teachings has permeated, permeated our society and, unfortunately, many churches. Thomas Jefferson, one of our greatest founding fathers, is also one of the most famous individuals who loved Jesus' moral teachings, but did not believe he was divine. He did not believe in the Trinity. He did not believe in those irrational miracles, and especially that ridiculous resurrection that is clearly taught in the Gospels. So what he did is he created his own Bible. I'll use air quotes for, for Bible, where he decided to omit anything that he did not think could logically be explained. He omitted miracles. He omitted any reference to Jesus being the Messiah or God. And at the end of his book, Jesus was in the tomb, dead, and Jesus' disciples rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. That is the end of his book. He wrote in 1803 that, To the corruptions of Christianity I am indeed opposed, but not to the genuine precepts of Jesus himself. I am a Christian, in the only sense in which he wished anyone to be. Sincerely attached to his doctrines, in preference to others, ascribing to himself every human excellence and believing he never claimed any other. So Thomas Jefferson believed that Jesus never claimed to be God, but his followers invented that belief after he died. The Jesus of Thomas Jefferson's own creation was not God, but a mere great man who taught great things. Now there are many before Thomas Jefferson and there are many after Thomas Jefferson that have also chosen to believe in a Jesus that fits their narrative. Is that something that we are free to do? Are, are we free to decide for ourselves who Jesus is? 
Good. I see some head shaking. No. Um, C.S. Lewis, the great author and, and um, theologian, did not orig- originate the idea of the trilemma. Um, I'll talk about, a little bit more about that in, in a bit. But his thoughts on this debate are probably the most famous. He wrote this in Mere Christianity. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the, the, the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Nor it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. The trilemma is that if Jesus is not God, then he is either a lunatic or a liar, or he is a legend of other people's invention. The question is, what does the Bible say about Jesus? Does he claim to be God? We do not believe in belief. We believe in truth propositions that are firmly grounded in the scriptures. So, let us work through a bunch of different verses at this time to, to see if the Bible actually declares Jesus as God. Um, first of all, Matthew 3.16. Matthew 3.16 and 17. And yeah, get, your, get those fingers warmed up. We're going to do a bunch of turning. This is uh, the, the baptism of Jesus. And what's interesting here is God declares Jesus to be God. Verses, verse 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So at Jesus' baptism, we clearly see the Trinity as Father, Son, and Spirit all being present. And God the Father acknowledges that Jesus is his Son, who is the second person of the Trinity. Next, Mark 2.5, this is where, where Jesus claimed to be equal with God. And one way that he claimed that and showed that is that he could forgive sin, something only God can do. And that verse says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. He also claimed to be honored as God as well as to be equal with the Father. John 5, verses 18 and 23. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now verse 23. That all may may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father, Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And then John 10, verse 30, where Jesus says, I and the Father are one. 
those are, I'd say, some pretty compelling claims to be God. Next, we'll, we'll see that Jesus claimed to be the great I am. And that's in John 8, verses 58 and 59. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This I am reference is made in connection with Exodus 3.14, where Jesus revealed his name to, to Mo, where God revealed his name to Moses as I am. Jesus' statement then is a biblical claim for the deity of Christ. The Jews who were present knew very well what Jesus was claiming because they were ready to stone him. And this would have been the appropriate response or the thing to do for someone incorrectly claiming divinity. But in this, in this case, Jesus was rightly claiming his divinity. Also, we see that Jesus claimed to be Yahweh and the Messiah God in numerous places in the Gospels. Here are just a few examples. John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. John 8, 12 through 19, it says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness against yourself, about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would also know my father also. And then in John 4, 25 and 26, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, speak to you, am he. Over and over and over throughout the Gospels, um, there are scriptures or verses that affirm the biblical deity of Christ. Then also Jesus accepted worship as God. Though the Old Testament commanded not to worship anyone but God alone, Jesus accepted worship on many occasions. Some of these include the, the healed leper who worshiped him, the ruler who knelt before Jesus after his son had been healed, the Canaanite woman, the, the mother of James and John, and a demon-possessed man. All of these worshiped Jesus as God, and Jesus rightly accepted that worship. And then we see that Jesus' followers recognized Jesus as God. John 20, 27 and 28, then he, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put on your hand and place it in my side. Do not believe, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. John 4:42 they says that they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the savior of the world. And then Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20, which is the great commission. That's we we think of it as the the go 
therefore make disciples, and that's, that's good. But as we read through this again, think about the things that it says about the deity of Christ. Verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to, Gal- went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of, in the, name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Also, the, the Apostle John taught us that Jesus was with God in the beginning as the Word, and that the Word was God, which is John 1.1. 1, 1. And John also said that the purpose of everything that was written down in the, in, the, in the pages of Scripture is so that we might believe in Jesus Christ. John 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, I realize that I have just flown through a bunch of passages from the, from the Gospels. And I, to be honest with you, I just scratched the surface of what is written in the, New, in the New Testament about Jesus being God's only Son. Now, my hope is that you can, with me, with complete confidence, confess the same thing that Peter and the disciples confessed, and what Christians for millennia have confessed, that Jesus is God's only Son. If you cannot, then you cannot call yourself a Christian. If we do not preach Jesus as God's only son here at this church, we are not a church. We're instead a cult or possibly simply a, a social club. We must believe what the Bible teaches and then confess with all our hearts that we believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son. It is a big deal when people do not believe that Jesus is God's only son and that he is God. Just a, um, many moons ago, I was a, a delivery driver of baking ingredients. And I would, uh, two days a week, I would deliver to down in Racine and Kenosha. And I had a, there was a uh, McDonald's right off of Highway 20 that had a nice little truck parking lot in the back. And I would, I had to take a 30-minute lunch break and I would sit there and, and take my time. Um, what I soon kind of realized after a few weeks of kind of being in the same spot about the same time is that there would be this odd-looking, massive, full-size car full of people, um, and they would drive throughout this parking lot and get out and, and talk to people. And on one such occasion, uh, I had the distinct pleasure of speaking to one gentleman. Um, and as we started talking, I knew quickly, very quickly who he was and what he was all about. Uh, he was a Jehovah's Witness. And as we, we talked very, very, very quickly, this became very evident. And what, what he was very good at, and I think we should respect their, religi- their ev- evangelistic zeal, but then we need to reject everything else that they're about. And what, what, uh, what he did very, a very good job of is all of a sudden try to, instead of us kind of talking against each other, he tried to come alongside me and say, well, we agree on a ton. We agree on a ton. Um, but I, I, I was brought to mind something I had heard 
some years before that by a pastor named Francis Chan, who said that when someone is attacking the deity of Christ, that's our savior that they're talking about. That's our, that our Lord. And that is a big deal. And I said to this guy, as Francis Chan said to someone similar, he, I said, it is offensive to me that you are talking about my Lord and Savior in this manner. Jesus is God that is, and has revealed to me throughout Scripture. Uh, and and uh, at that point, this gentleman's mood very much changed. And I, instead, I, I, I prayed for him right there, asking that God would reveal himself as he does in Scripture to this man. And he got out of there as quickly as he possibly could. But it is a big deal when someone denies the deity of Christ. Jesus is God's only son. He is eternally begotten. He is not created. He has always been. If he was created at the point of his incarnation, how could he have been sent? Jesus is God, and that is something that we must confess with 100% certainty. Lastly, I want to talk about the belief that Jesus is our Lord. Once again, J.I. Packer, he said, if Jesus is God the Son, our co-creator, and is also Christ, the anointed, the anointed Savior King, now risen from death and reigning, sitting, as the creed puts it, on the right hand of the Father, of God the Father Almighty, in the place of authority and power, then he has the right to rule us. And we have no right to resist his claim. Now, some people want to talk about Jesus as their Savior, but not Jesus as their Lord. A Lord has authority. A Lord has power over his subjects in their lives. We feel like we should have autonomy, correct? And freedom to do whatever we want. We don't feel like we need anything and, and we can take care of ourselves. But the reality is that we do have great needs and we can't take, of those, take care of those needs ourselves. We need a Savior. We need God's Son, Jesus, to provide a way of salvation. Turn, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. I'm going to read verses 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus willingly took on human flesh and humbly obeyed to the point of death on a cruel Roman cross. This was not an accident but was part of God's plan from eternity past. Because he did this, he is now exalted as Savior and Lord that every knee will bow to and every tongue confess to. Jesus is Lord. Now turn back to Acts chapter 2. Acts 
Acts 2. I will start reading in verse 23. And there's a lot here. Um, I didn't, there's no good place to jump in. So let's just read a, a pretty good portion here. Acts 2, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by hands by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My tongue also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I must say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to hate abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he, he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And because he is Lord, we must do what he says. That's kind of the deal. Uh, Luke chapter 6. Let's, let's, let's turn back there. We're, hopefully your fingers aren't tired yet, but we're, we're nearing the end. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. This is Jesus speaking. He says, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's quite the question, isn't it? And then he, as he did so much during his time here on earth, he, he used a story to then cement what he was actually saying. He says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. So if we say that Jesus is Lord of our life, then we must follow his commands. Doing so will anchor us in Christ during the storms of life, which will come. If we fail to do what he says, and we fail to anchor ourselves in the rock of Christ, then we will be swept away. 
So how do you answer the question, who is Jesus? People of all times have struggled with this question when when they have strayed from the truth of God's word and have tried to define Jesus based upon what they want to believe. But the Bible has given us so much to to correctly answer this question. And as we continue to work through the Apostles' Creed, we will learn much more about Jesus. It is my hope and my prayer that after today, you can, without hesitation and with excitement, confess with Peter, the disciples, and countless other saints that I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this this morning that we have had the opportunity to come together as a church and to to dig into your word, to to search into a topic that we, we think is pretty well established. That Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and our Lord. But God, you know that we are weak and that sometimes we stray and and we need constant reminders about who you are and what you have done and lord i just pray that uh, this morning i have done that clearly that 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 your word has been proclaimed to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that jesus is who he says he is that you are who you say you are and because of that we can believe and we can be saved in your name Lord, I pray that you just, uh, that that your word would just have great um, fruit as we leave from this place. In your name, amen.